and welcome to Pod on the Dog episode 12. This podcast is brought to you by Natural Instinct. Did you know that meat in Natural Instinct is all British from British farms and they only use the freshest fruits and vegetables in their food to create a super healthy diet for your dog as nature intended. You are what you eat right and this applies for your dog too. So enter discount code VERITY15 at the checkout to receive 15% off. That's in capitals, VERITY15. So I'm your host, Verity Hardcastle. You can find me at Verity Hardcastle on Instagram to follow all my latest shenanigans in dogdom. So on to my guest. I met this gentle giant on the set of Pooch Perfect. He is the resident vet who loves a TikTok, starts his day at ridiculous o'clock, and is always a positive ray of sunshine to be around. This tower of knowledge was a breath of fresh air because he really listens. He listens to other pet professionals and groomers with always with the care of our dearest animals at the forefront. It's Bolu Esso. <laughs> I, uh, what do I do after such a great and positive intro? That's such a nice intro. <laughs> Thanks, Verity. <laughs> Boost you up. <laughs> <laughs> so this week, we're going to do a bit of a vet special. So it's school day today, everybody. So buckle up. So before we dig deep, tell me about your journey to becoming a fully bona fide vet. Was it always something that you really wanted to do? Yes, it was always something I wanted to do. Veterinary medicine was always on the forefront of my mind since I was young. I've always wanted to be a vet. You know, I'd seen Steve Irwin on TV, you know, chasing crocodiles. I'd watched like lemurs on Zaboomafu, which is this kid's program back in the day where they used to have like ringtail lemurs. I used to watch all the documentaries, natural history. So I'd always kind of made my mind up that I wanted to do veterinary, not just working with animals, but veterinary medicine. Mm. Um, and yeah, so it was like kind of that direction that I geared myself towards in like primary school. I, you know, looked at all the universities I wanted to go to and that was my thing. So I kind of like chased that dream. And funny enough, I'd done all the work experience at the time and I tried to apply for that school and I didn't actually get in first time around. Um, and that's what led me to kind of do some externships in India as a supposed gap year. And then I ended up, before I knew it, going to study abroad in Budapest, Hungary. Um, and I studied in Budapest, Hungary for six years to get my veterinary degree, uh, finished and came home to work. And, I just, and I've been working for, what, the past two and a half, three years now um, in a busy practice in London now at the moment. But yeah, before it was in Kent. And yeah, I love it. I love every single day. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, you know, Bolu, you know, what's so embarrassing for me is all my life since I can actually remember, I always wanted to be a vet. yeah. And I didn't make it happen. I just wasn't focused at school. I was just yeah. too busy messing around and chasing <laughs> boys and you know, doing my hair and my makeup. <laughs> you, know, that was, you know, it's funny because as you say that, when I was a kid, I used to like love watching TV sometimes. And my mum would be like, stop watching TV. The people on TV already made their money. When you make your money, then you can go and watch TV. And I was like, Okay, and it's just kind of like so. I always kind of was focused on that, and like you say, it's a hard course to get into. Um, of course, and such a long focus, studying time as well, isn't it? That's the so, big thing, and you're all and like, much like groomers as well. You're always studying after you've after you finish. There's never really a point where you're just like, yeah, I'm done. It's always like there's de- and that's like with any skill really. Once you start the skill you start to realise that there's so much more depth to this now and so you can go deeper and deeper mm. and deeper. And obviously, you, like, your job, you can specialise in different areas as well. The knowledge like is medicine, endless. Yeah. Like, and I think, mm. I think that's why it attracted someone like me is because it's just endless learning, endless challenges. You yeah. can look at different avenues and it's just so flexible. So, yeah. I think that we all know what hard workers, anyone is who works with animals, so be it a vet, even a groomer, dog walker. But tell me, Bolly, what does a typical day look like for you? 
Well, typical day. Um, it's funny because I literally just made, as you said, I make TikToks as well. I literally just made a TikTok of like a day in my life. Um, and so I can kind of pan it out quite, right. quite, quite well <laughs> now because yeah. I finished editing that video. But it was like, um, uh, usually I tend to get up about like 5 a.m. ish because um, at the moment I'm in the middle of a challenge as well. So I'm working out quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I wake up about 5 a.m., do my typical workouts early in the morning, then come back home, change, all that sort of stuff, get into the, get into the office, the practice um, for 8.30 usually prepping for what's going to go, what's going to happen on that day. Usually I have about varies if I'm doing dogs or cats that day, but I have like five operations in that day. Um, Sometimes it can be like two or three. Um, And sometimes it might just be one if somebody decides to cancel. But what tends to happen is I get in for 8.30. I start consulting around about 9am. My consults are usually about 15 minutes to 30 minutes, but most of the time they're 15 minutes. So I'll have consults from nine block until about 11.30, 12, depending on, if people are calling during the day or if I have any emergencies and stuff like that. So I usually have about maybe it can vary from about 14 people to 10 people that I might see in the morning. First thing, like that's from nine yeah, till yeah. nine till 1130. And it depends if people are calling because of emergencies and all that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. Um, and then usually if the day's going swimmingly around 1130 to 1230, I'll keep doing my extra add-on consults. 1230 is when I start operating during the day. So I'll have about like four or five ops, um, during the day, so if I have cat spays or um, mm. large uh, female dog spays, cat castrates, dog castrates, a dental procedure, that sort of thing, um, and then you know, what's can, your favorite? What's your favorite sort of common surgery? Oh, common surgery, my favorite. I really love dentistry. I love dentistry. Yeah. I really, I really take like, I really enjoy, you know, because it was funny because a lot of dents despise dentistry. Oh, yeah. How like it can be it's a real um, attack on your patients, dentistry and especially dentistry and dogs. Um, but yeah, I really love dentistry. I, I, I'm passionate about dentistry. I'm passionate about all surgery. And, but um, yeah, dentistry is really good fun. Um, and then I do routine stuff. So I'm kind of over the routine stuff. Like, I mean, when I get a bit of excitement, that's when I come alive. Like, I mean, last week I had a cat cesarean that was like, oh yeah, this is, this is, you know, fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is fine. This is, this is like, oh, okay. Yeah. Spice. Everything else, like, I almost go into autopilot because it's routine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then I'll have my ops until about four o'clock-ish. And then four o'clock is when I start my consults for the evening. So I'll have another like 13, 14 people. Pretty long day though. Yeah, and I keep going to about seven thirty or so. Wow, yeah, that yeah. is a long day. Yeah, and then we're out, out, out at eight, and then I kind of do my outdoor workout, go home, Goodness me. eat and sleep, and then do it all again. <laughs> you work five days a week doing that. I do four. So Wednesday, I was going to say that's a four day a week because they're long thing. hours. So it, it varies. So I do four day weeks um, before now because I've negotiated that into my newest uh, contract. In my last job, I used to do it five days. Um, mm-hmm. I do four days. I do one in three, one in four Saturdays. Um, and then I have one in eight where I do Saturdays and Sundays. When I do Saturdays and Sundays, it's pretty hectic because I do, because I'm the only vet at my clinic. So I'll do the Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, yeah. Tuesday. <laughs> so it, just, it just becomes like a, it's like a 10 day sprint. And it becomes almost like ridiculous. That's when I'm like, guys, nobody talk to me. I don't, I don't want to keep <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like nobody talk to me. I'm not happy anymore. Just note to anyone visiting Bolly's practice, don't go on the Monday after he's done those 10 <laughs> yeah. days straight because yeah. you might be stitching up your dogs the wrong way. <laughs> exactly. I won't be doing things like, oh, no, no. Yeah, that, yeah. That's part of why I'm always like um, so hypervigilant about like the way I work out and the way I put stuff into my body because 
I have a job where I have to be on top form all the time. I can't really mm-hmm. say I'm tired and make silly mistakes, you know? I yeah, mean, yeah. if I'm tired, I, I won't do certain things, but I always make sure I'm in top form because, mm-hmm. like you say, if I'm tired and I've done a 20-hour a weekend, a 40-hour weekend, whatever it may be, um, and then I come in the next day. Yeah, every, every client wants to see, yeah, Bolo in top form, thank you very much. Exactly. You're doing my precious animal. <laughs> exactly, and that's why I will treat every single animal as if it's my own, and every single animal that goes on the anaesthetic or whatever happens, and when people are calling, I treat it as if it's my own. And, I'll, yeah. and I guess sometimes it's hard. Because it's a great ethos it. for anybody really working with animals to work by. Yeah, you, you just have to be in top form and you look after them as if they're your own and what kind of service would you expect? And and sometimes it's okay to say no. Some people want, like, you know, people will push and I get emergencies that call on the day, but sometimes I have to tell them, like, you're going to have to call another practice, one of our practices in the chain, because mm. I physically can't see, like, I've got too many people in yeah. and so I physically can't see you. And so sometimes yeah. it's okay to be able to turn stuff away if it means that you have to provide the best service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So you must obviously see, well, you, we know now you see an awful lot of animals. What's mm. the most common case you see with a with a dog into the vet? Uh, just, just in general? Yeah. Um, cool. <laughs> that's, that's tough. But in general, a lot of issues that we see are skin, mm. um, skin, gastrointestinal related to so things like diarrhea and vomiting. Because the thing about yeah. pets is that a lot of the things that we're seeing them for, they're very uh, miscellaneous. They're not they're not specific. They're non-specific. They're general signs. Yeah. Yeah. So it's down to us as vets to kind of break it down. Whereas if you're a human doctor, you know, people come to you and tell you, doc, doc there's a specific pain right here and it feels like it's underneath my kidneys. Mm. But owners, a lot of time, owners come to you and just say, my dog's acting different. Or my That's dog's why you do those different. extra two years at uni, right? That's it. <laughs> That's, <laughs> it. That's it. That's it. You know, and you yeah. do an extra yeah. to do little where you learn to speak to the animals. So you just yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Looking to my head. eyes. Looking to my eyes. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting your foot. It's your foot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Um, so can we quickly touch on obesity in dogs? I don't yeah. know if it's just me, but when I'm out and about and also in my salon, I seem to see more and more overweight dogs or my clients dogs who are slowly expanding mm. do you think it's always been the same or have you seen an increase in waistlines as I, as well and and uh, how do you address this I mean this is a really tricky one I mean I think it's easier for the vets to say right your dog's overweight you've got mm. scales you know what they should look like mm. as groomers you know I always want to say something but I've had people take it really badly Mm, yeah people 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 do get offended i think it's just funny because in the in the veterinary space the grooming space just the animal space people hold opinions very um you'll find that people hold opinions very passionately like they protect a lot of opinions very like there's a lot of oh gusto behind every single yeah, opinion. you're completely <laughs> right how could you possibly say that like, you know so it becomes a very it's like you're saying oh by the way you're overweight yeah, and not even like you're not even like saying that. Oh, by the way, you're overweight. It's like saying no, you're morbidly obese. To saying it to somebody, yeah. it's like you're really attacking them, and it becomes very passionate. And so, I think when there's that aspect involved, you have to learn. That's where your communication skills have to come down. You have to learn how mm. to break things down. Um, yeah, to break it down seriously, not because sometimes it's easy to joke about things and be like, oh yeah, a little bit round, but you know, and everybody's laughing. But no, seriously, we need to work on bringing the weight down that sort of thing and sometimes that's I'm a like, really good way of dealing with it yeah yeah like you know me already I'm quite a light-hearted person and I joke oh. about a lot so I'm with that with my clients anyway um and I joke about quite a bit and you know we'll talk about if there's cushion there's a lot of cushioning there and you know they're a little bit chunky and we've got yeah but that's a really good way you're almost like half kicking the wall down and then you're like yeah but seriously like exactly. you really do thought this out 
I love yes, that and, tactic. And that's and that's the thing is like I'll say I'll say seriously. Look, we need to work on bringing this weight down, and then I'll just give them the honest because my whole thing is giving the honest truth. At the end of the day. I get nothing by just telling you your dog's fat. That, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't, that, doesn't, that doesn't do anything for me. If I just tell you your dog's fat, it's not like I get a kick out of it. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I tell people, I'm like, look, at the end of the day, I'm in, I'm in it the same way you're in it. I'm trying to look out for Fluffy's best interest. And mm-hmm. obesity means that arthritis, means diabetes, could mean other, like, you know, other conditions, you know, bad joints, uh, bad skincare. It could mean a lot of things. And it means ultimately... Fluffy won't live as long as Fluffy's supposed to. Yeah. And what my job is to make sure that Fluffy can live the best life possible as much as it is your job. And yeah, because so, we all care about Fluffy. Exactly. And that's the common um, denominator. When people are complaining about certain things, stuff like that, I say, look, I, I, I strip it back. <laughs> I, if you want your mask going on my microphone's just dropped. <laughs> She's broken the mic. It's so professional. Now, um, Car- carry on, Polly. Carry on. <laughs> but yeah, the common denominator at the end of the day is we love fluffy we're all looking out for fluffy and we want the best interest for fluffy so um if it means that we have to work on weight loss then we have to work on weight loss and sometimes i have the time to be able to break it down sometimes i don't like i say i have 15 minutes now we tell people look come back and we'll discuss it with a weight consult you can discuss it with nurses we have nurses who are really good at nutrition um or talking about obesity and we can always break that down yeah and break down how much we're feeding i mean obesity is definitely on the rise i would say obesity is on the rise as a population in people, but also in our dogs. It's just a sign mm-hmm. of that we're all just getting comfortable because, you know, standard of living gets higher. We eat more junk food. You know, food's more easily accessible. It's the same with dog foods. There's more dog foods on the market. Yeah. That is more easily accessible. You know, we start feeding our pets. Treats so as well. Treat, you know, there's so many treats now. The variety. You know, for your dog and people think, oh, you know. And this is the thing. And this is the other side as well. I get a lot of clients, especially especially after the pandemic, because we've had a lot of puppies and a lot of these puppies now are growing older now as well. And I get a lot of these puppies that look in great shape. They're in great shape. They look a little bit lean, a little bit trim. You see them. But then people come in and say, look, uh, I'm worried that my dog is underweight or that he's not yeah. eating stuff. And I say, look, don't let anybody body shame your dog right now because your dog is perfect as it is. And that feeling of it may be underweight is because you're looking at 85% of dogs are obese. Or overweight. Yeah, on, on, yeah. The overbody yeah. conditions go, and I'm looking at your mm-hmm. dog, and I'm like, your dog is perfect. I can see the ribs, I can feel the ribs, I can feel the hips, I can see how that tummy kind of tucks in. They've got a little bit of a waistline. The moment they start becoming like oblong, smooth, yeah, smooth little, and rounded, little sausage with a little sausage with legs, like you know, when they start coming round and that belly starts to hang a little bit lower, then you start wondering, okay, and they start walking mm-hmm. a bit more stiffly, then you start wondering, okay, your dog's definitely overweight, and that's like over overweight, you know? Um, yeah, it's just kind of you want to wheel it back a little bit. You want to see the waistline. And mostly, yeah. I mean, what most people think is underweight is actually usually an ideal weight. Do you think that it should be something that a, you know, a dog walker, a trainer or a groomer, for instance, should be mentioning to their clients? Or do you think we should just leave it for the vets? No, I definitely think everybody, everybody has, everybody who's involved in that animal's life has a, has kind duty, of like a, yeah. yeah duty to, to do it. The only thing is that it's funny because, I think sometimes people just have a little bit more respect from when, when it's coming from the vet's mouth. Oh, 100%. Which is, which is, which is strange sometimes because I, I hear the way some people talk to, you know, my receptionists or to my nurses. And it might be the same way they might talk to a groomer or to a dog walker um, because it's almost, I don't know what, maybe it is that kind of, okay, because we studied and we've got a doctor in front of our title. Yeah, but I think that's a certain type of person maybe as well. Yeah. So some people can be a little bit like, yeah defensive yeah. when you say when you say it but definitely i do think that you no know, everybody should anybody who knows mm. it should be saying it 
um, and just kind of piping up a little. Because at the end of the day, like I said, common denominator, we're all looking out for Fluffy. So, you know, everybody has the right to, especially groomers, when you're, you're hands on. You know, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Well, when, you're, when you're watching the dogs walking when the owners aren't away, you know what they're struggling mm-hmm. with. Yeah, and also, you know, they've got to stand on our tables and yeah. you know, notice them packing on the way and also struggling to, you know, stand there comfortably. And they're and only they're six years old. You're thinking, guys, you need, you should be able to have the energy to stand here while I just give you, a, you know, a quick trim. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it becomes, it, that's the thing as well, is that for me, a lot of these health things, when I talk about health things as a way to avoid hurting other people's opinions, it's just that it's so disheartening to see sometimes. Like it's disheartening to see an over, overweight dog that can't yeah, can barely stand for longer than two minutes or, because, you know. Yeah, it's not just, breathing. you know, the vanity aspect of it. It's just, I can see that they're not as fun. Yeah, they just, yeah, just, 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 you can see them struggling. Just, but. Oh, yeah. They just become lazy and yeah, lose that sparkle. And that's it. And you just start to feel a little bit sorry for them. So definitely yeah. one of those things that needs to be pointed out a bit cool. more. And I mean, the number one tip before I before we do draw on it is just that um, check what you're feeding your dog. Some people feed a dog for the weight that they are. And I tell them, feed them for the weight that you want them to be. That's like the biggest mistake I see all the time is that, you know, you have a 10 kilo, but he's a 10 kilo, he's a 10 kilo Bichon yeah. and he might be like a bit chunky. And he only said, Oh, yeah, but I feed him, you know. And I say, What are you feeding him? How much are you feeding him? And they're like, Oh, yeah, I feed him on the on the back. It says, you know, this much for a 10 kilo dog. I said, yeah. Yeah, It's 10 kilos, but he's overweight 10 kilos. Feed him for a five kilo dog. And then we. Yeah, good. Uh, that's a really good point. I, I totally didn't even think about I just uh, feed my dogs by sight. Yeah. Like I'll look at the, I, I've always fed them by eye. Yeah. Because I think that what's on those packets as well is depending on your dog's. Um, digestive system how quickly they sort of digest their food but also the amount of exercise and how yeah. you know because I know within my dogs I've got some that are like blooming slugs that do yeah. nothing in the house yeah. and then others that are just constantly playing with toys and running around and just you know burning off obviously a lot more energy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. exactly and that's that's it it's just metabolism varies in each dog and so that was the word I don't know I could not find it. that word in my brain <laughs> I was like oh, digestive birth <laughs> no you, you, uh, you, explained, you explained it well enough for me to know that it was the time. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it I just slid sense. through that. I was just like, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk teeth. So, okay. a little biology lesson for me, if you please. Okay. Give it four one one on the anatomy. Right, there's forty two teeth, no matter what the size. Nice. Okay. Good. You're good. Well, huh, I'll get you there. Uh, no matter what the size. Sometimes toy breeds have um, supernumerary teeth. So that's excessive amount of teeth. Um, and right. that's toy breeds they retain their baby teeth. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Transition from baby tooth to adult tooth usually happens around four, five, six, seven, eight months. Yeah, uh, I've had um, I've had puppies before where they've retained their canine, their upper yeah, canine. Exactly, um, common one. And obviously, we've had to have it removed. Exactly. So those are all really important things for you guys to look out for, um, and anybody to look out for in general. It's just like you know, supernumerary teeth. They have either like a double row of teeth, like your Pomeranians usually have that, or toy poodles, or sometimes. Um, uh, you know, some of the smaller breeds like Daxies as well, uh, where they have like two rows, so you look like a baby shark. Um, and then you have, um, so that's supernumerary teeth. They're all I the mean, that must be a cleaning nightmare. Yeah, so those are the things where we have to extract those teeth out. They have yeah. to be extracted because the problem is, is that the more those teeth sit there, they're not supposed to be there. So the more yeah. they sit there, the more the jaw becomes malocclused, which is just that it becomes misaligned. Yeah, yeah. Misaligned, there, it's affecting their bite. And so sometimes you get bites in which the canines might poke through the roof of the, the mouth mm-hmm. or... The, the teeth might be biting on parts of the lip where it shouldn't be or it's 
infecting different parts and of And also plant. over time, food and bacteria Everything is going to accumulate around that. And Exactly. And you think about like the baby tooth that wants to hang, it wants to yeah. get rid of itself. It wants to be, the body wants to eject it, but it doesn't, it hangs in. It mm. sits there and sometimes infection just sits in as well nice. because it's just kind of over, like yeah. it's, it's like you said, the food, the bacteria all just sit there together and it becomes a nice pocket mm. for the bacteria to stay in. So in fact, I've had to do that. Like I've had Pomeranian puppies where, Maybe yeah. they've been about six months and I've had to take out, you know, several rows of teeth and this tiny wow. little milk teeth that I'm taking out. So, so yeah, yeah. I've, I've not actually seen the full two full sets of teeth in a dog's mouth before. I've seen obviously where they've retained canines quite a lot. I think it must be like maybe a poodle thing. Yeah. Um, or maybe just a smaller dog's thing. Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's it. So like I said, 42 teeth, no matter the, no matter the, um, no matter the breed, um, you're talking about the 12 incisors. Those are the, the teeth mm-hmm. of the front. One root, yeah, exactly. Those are the ones yeah. that you Oh my gosh, if you look at the cat's one, the cat's ones are so darn cute. They're so small. Like little, little pinheads, teeth. aren't they? Yeah, exactly. Little tiny teeth, yeah. And so those are the ones that are to the front. Those are your incisors. Then you have your canines, which are your um, your big grasp teeth. Everyone knows the canines. Those are the big, like, fang-like teeth. Yeah. Ones out. Vampire teeth. Yeah, exactly. The vampire teeth. You have four of the canines. Um, if you're seeing more than four canines, then, you know, there's something going on. <laughs> there's something going on. Then yeah. you have um, your premolars, which mm-hmm. are the premolars that are just before, they're like the sectional teeth. So they're like the sharp and pointy ones, just after the canines. So I've noticed with toy breeds, um, some of them have either more premolars or I've seen with a few miniature poodles in particular where they don't have enough premolars. Yeah. So the premolars, those teeth that come before the molars, um, <clears throat> it varies Sometimes these are the ones that get affected when the dogs have like a, a weird arrangement of the teeth inside their mouth. So um, some dogs, if, you, if you're not seeing the premolars, that could be an indication that there's some retained teeth there. And if there are some retained teeth there, that, that's a problem further on down the line because what, what will happen is that all the other teeth will be in the wrong position. And because they're in the wrong position, that will start to affect their bite, can mm. cause pain later on, can cause all kinds of dental problems that make their mouths a little bit sore. Um, so it's definitely something to look out for. Um, but yeah, you want to look at the incisors, those small ones at the front. Um, those are the small ones at the front. The canines, which are the big grasping teeth. Um, yeah. Everyone knows what the canines are. Those are like the vampire fangs. <laughs> the, uh-huh. the ones that come after the canines. And then you have your molars, which are the big grinding teeth at the back. Um, I mean, I find when I'm looking at my dog's molars, the ones right at the back are really even hard to even look at, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. That, and, that's, and that's the biggest area where you want to be paying the most attention. When I'm telling owners to brush teeth and, mm. and have a look at their dog's teeth and all those sorts mm. of things, it's the ones at the back because people are good at brushing teeth. And that's one of the things I generally do tend to uh, recommend. But it's getting the ones right at the back because people do the brushing of the teeth. Um, but it's really making sure you get right at the back because that's where the tartar sits. That's where the plaque sits. Those are the ones I'm often looking at when I'm having to remove teeth. In the yeah. And, and that's the kind of thing that you want to take into account because when we're talking about um, dental prophylaxis, dental care, prevention of, prevention of any um, problems, we're talking about toothbrushing. Toothbrushing is a really big one. So toothbrushing is a really big one. And it's the same as human's teeth. You hold yeah. it at a slight angle. Um, and then when you hold it at a slight angle, maybe like 30 degrees, um, you hold it at a slight angle. And then you want to make sure you're brushing your teeth and not brushing the gum above. Because yeah. I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people are doing. They're brushing the teeth, but then they're also brushing the gum. Um, mm-hmm. I always tell people to work your way up to it because as soon as I mention toothbrushing to people, everybody's like, oh, I'm going to get the toothbrush and jam it in my dog's mouth and stuff. You have to work your way up to it. Yeah, yeah. Th- this was going to be one of my big questions. It's obviously yeah. your tips for teeth cleaning because 
I suppose a lot of what I do as a groomer is handling the dog's mouth and trying to, and their face and trying to get them comfortable. But obviously it's a really good idea for people, especially if you've got a new puppies, to start handling the dog's mouth really young. But do you, do you just use a human toothbrush or a baby toothbrush or like, what do you, what do you tell people? Yeah. So like you said, with puppies, when they're really young is the best time to kind of accommodate them and habituate them to you messing about Mm. in the mouth. So fingers in mouths and things like that. So what I tend to tell people first, the fingers first, use your fingers first, especially when they're puppies put it all around in their mouth. Um, then you work up to toothpaste, which is um, like there's a dog-specific toothpaste, of course. You don't want to be using like human toothpaste because mm-hmm. the fluoride in that is toxic. And then once you've got to the dog-specific toothpaste and you're brushing around the teeth and you're getting around the backs, then you can start working up to a toothbrush. And so with a the toothbrush, there's different types of toothbrush. So like you can use a baby toothbrush. I, I often recommend a baby toothbrush sometimes. Get those that toothbrush. might be more gentle on the gums, right? Because exactly, because they're soft bristle. But you want a medium, yeah. medium to soft bristle. You don't want to go hard because hard, I think, I don't even think dentists, I talk with a lot of my friends who are dentists and they, dentists don't even recommend hard toothbrushes. No, I used to, do you know what? You can cause gum recession exactly. using a hard toothbrush. You exactly. have to be really careful. I, I won't touch on that because that's something I can segue into what like an unhealthy mouth looks like. But um yeah, you have the soft brushes and the soft to medium bristles and you want to be able to, you have the human toothbrushes, so the baby mm-hmm. ones. You can also get the normal human sized one if you've got a particularly big dog, like a Rottweiler mm-hmm. or something like that, or a great dog. Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like BFG's toothbrush, yeah. like double hand. <laughs> exactly, a double handed toilet, but like a massive loofah that you're Yeah, 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 loofah. <laughs> um, and then uh, aside from that, you've also got, um, there's also dog specific toothbrushes or pet specific ones. Is that what you think is best? Which is weird because they've actually introduced these dogs type ones to, hum- to human toothbrushing. It's like a, I don't know if you've seen them, but like a They've got like a cross head, head of hairs, yeah, haven't exactly. they? They've got yeah. A head, and they've also got one with three heads. So it attacks all surfaces. So that Oh yeah. When we describe the surfaces of the, the teeth, you've got the buccal side, the lingual side, and then the occlusal side. Oh, okay. Words, buccal means inside the gum, inside mm-hmm. the mouth, inside the cheek, sorry. So the buccal side of the tooth is the side that's closest to the cheek. Yeah, so when we smile. Exactly. That's the side, side you see. Exactly. Then you've got the lingual side. The lingual side is the side closest to the tongue. Yeah. Yeah. Then you've got the occlusal. Occlusal mean occlusion, closing, the turf, the part where the two teeth yeah. together. So the occlusal is at the top. So yeah. you know, branching off of that, there's the three different heads that are covering it. So one's covering each side of the tooth. And they're starting to introduce it into human medicine as well, uh, human dentistry as well, which is really weird. Like, you know, these startup companies that want something new, they make these yeah. kind of But yeah, yeah, I think the ones with the two heads are actually really, really good. Um, but it can be a little bit uncomfortable if you haven't got a dog that's habituated to it. So you want to work your mm. way up to it. But a baby toothbrush is fine. I tell people, if you're just even able to brush the teeth, kudos to you. You've done a good job. Because a lot of the time, I'm, not, I'm seeing dogs that haven't had their teeth brushed or any form of dental prevention for, mm. you know, 12 years, eight years. You think that's crazy because all the muck and food that sits there is going to sit there. Um, and so if you're doing any kind of dental prevention, that is like kudos and i usually tell people yeah. i do it one to three times a week um, so what do, what do you think about these like treats that are marketed at um dental prevent you know prevention i know there's some big brand ones which i know people use but i don't think the ingredients in them are particularly good quality yeah so treats is a big one and i, I discussed this as well um uh certain treats and certain treats are on the market the way the treats work in in terms of dental care is one if these treats are kind of hard enough, they can scratch off the plaque, the bulky plaque and the tartar um, or calculus. Um, and then aside from that, they also control the pH of the mouth. 
So these treats control the pH of the mouth. And so it makes the pH a little bit, I can't remember if it's lower or higher, but it just alters the pH of the food and the saliva. And in that state, the bacteria can't stay in that environment because it's not mm. a conducive environment for the bacteria to grow. Oh, okay. So um, it's not just, they're not just designed just to remove, you know, a, apparently remove the plaque, but they can mm-hmm. alter the pH of the mouth. Exactly. And that's what they're there for. But then, like you said, so some of them, just claim that they're dentistry treats, but don't necessarily do it. Like Royal Cannon do a dental a dental food actual diet, which is specifically mm. aimed at doing that, reducing the pH so that it affects the bacteria. Oh, that's interesting. Then, not only that, um, you've got, there's a list called, it is a VA, VOHC. If you type VOHC into Google, it's the right. Vet- Veterinary Oral Health Council. And you look for VOHC approved treats because that's the Veterinary Oral Health Council approved treats. And there they give you like a list for both dogs and cats of like... Oh, okay. That's great all, advice. Exactly, yeah. All yeah. The approved, all the approved mm. dentistry products that you can use for both dogs and cats, whether it's food or whether it's uh, tooth, uh, tooth treats or mm. toothpaste or whatever. And those are the ones that are stood by by the Veterinary Oral Council, like the Oral Health Council. Those ones that actually work, not just... Oh, you know, here's a dentist dick. Yeah. I'm not saying anything about dentist sticks. I don't know whether dentist sticks do it or not. I haven't actually checked them on the list, but you know, here's a dentist stick and and yeah, for the best. Usually, what I tend to tell people is be very careful because some some people will recommend bones and rawhide shoes. I'm a very I'm very against bones because bones break teeth. There's a lot of things. It's weird. It's it's so weird as well because we get fed a lot of these stereotypes with dogs and cats. Like, you know, mm. you see the cartoons when you're younger, you give a dog a massive bone and yeah, yeah, you, give yeah. chicken, you give the chick, you give the cat milk. Um, but yes. cats are intolerant. So the dogs like yeah. um, and bones are probably one of the biggest hazards for, for dogs as much as it's great. I don't know why there's this kind of constant thing of trying to treat our dogs. Like there's some very wild, wild animals that they have to have the blood of like, you know, know, talk about your own dogs. Mine are pretty wild. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Like, you know, we need to give them bones and, you know, we need to, all this kind of, it's almost like um, a paleolithic diet for dogs. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Bones and blood. It's funny because I've always, my Dobie was always fed on a bones and raw food diet. She used to have full carcasses and Mm. that's how she ate. And luckily I'd never had a problem, but I know my cousin who's a vet, he also used to message me like, like don't, you know, so you guys must see the issues that come along with this, obviously far greater than me, who's only got, you know, a handful of dogs does. It's it's like, it's like one of those things of, I have nothing really against, I have nothing against raw food. There are studies to prove that there are, you know, bacterial contamination and sometimes you get nutrition. But like when I'm talking to new owners and they ask me the questions of raw food, it's not something you can just take flippantly. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to go down to the butchers, get a bunch of raw meat and then give it to my dog. Like it doesn't work. I mean, it's so, it's so popular now. And I, I do I do think you need to be aware when you're feeding mm. raw of things like salmonella and things, especially when you've got a family about. But I don't know. I, um, people. It's the kids. It's the kids part yeah, as well. It is. But I think if you're really sensible... And you are vigilant about how you feed your dogs and everything, then I do feel like it's the most natural, healthiest. I'm not talking about bones. I'm talking about feeding raw yeah. uh, mints and things like that. Like, um, I do think it's the most natural form of feeding. So, yeah, so this is where this is what I was, I was getting on to, because it's like it's good because it's this is the bit of what I was trying to explain is that mm. I don't know why we have this kind of. We really want the Paleolithic thing that the really most natural, yeah. Most, yeah. The, most, the least processed thing. And I, I get that as well from like a yeah. processing and adding sugars and all these things that aren't necessary to food. Um, 
But sometimes it's like being care- it's being really careful of diet. Because for instance, like raw, it's having a nice balanced diet, which is if you've got a balanced diet, you're making sure you're remembering your proteins, your carbs, your minerals, and all your yeah, food. absolutely, like, yeah. Because we get we get a lot of dogs where they have bone malnourishments, or you know, they might be, have chronic chronic diarrhea or soft stools, mm-hmm. and they're not necessarily gaining weight because their diet hasn't been considered for it. And so that was the bit of where I was going with the bones as well. Mm, yeah, it's. A lot of bones. It doesn't give them everything they need. Exactly. And so the bones, in terms of cleaning teeth, aren't really that great in cleaning teeth. More likely, a bone's going to break a tooth. Mm. Um, I always tell people to, if you're going to take a treat, especially like a raw haichu or an antler or something like that, whack it on your knee first. If you whack it on your knee and it hurts your knee, it's probably going to break the dog's tooth. That's the best way to kind of measure it. You just slap it on your knee. And if it's like, ooh, it's most likely going to break the, it can most likely break their tooth. Um, and besides that, obviously the choking hazard. So the best way to go about trying to clean your pet's teeth are either the dental diets, yeah, HC recommended, mm-hmm. like I'm saying, or um, brushing and yeah. taking that brushing into account, like, you know, brushing one to three times a week. And that's like the best way to go about it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Brushing. I brush my dog's teeth. Amazing. And um, yeah, and I have, <laughs> I actually have to keep their toothbrushes and their doggy toothpaste and everything in the utility room um it's always in my house so that I can just quickly pop them up on the utility side you know two three times a week because I've got poodles they're renowned for having really crappy teeth now I just wanted to ask you do you think it's dietary genetics do you see certain breeds that have you know that seem to be predisposed to have these teeth (laughs) so in the literature there's lots of different um things I think obviously definitely dietary is one because what goes into your mouth is is mm. gonna have a, a massive effect so dietary is definitely one um whether one food's better than the other it's hard to really say I mean obviously wet food can sometimes have has more of the predisposition to kind of sit in the teeth and any kind of soft food has more predisposition yeah. to sit in the teeth and build up especially if you have like you said well, like I said before gingival recession because the whole point of the gingival is that it's holding that kind of gum in place as well uh, it's holding the um, tooth in place as well. And if there's pockets and, and little sockets there, then the food can get trapped there. Bacteria builds up. More likely to happen with wet food than it is dry food. Yeah. Um, but then that's not to say that wet food is worse than dry food because also dry food can do the exact same thing when it's mm. fiber. Um, but then you also got your dry food, which can help scratch off the plaque as well. Um, but yeah, so food is definitely one, one uh, aspect of it. I'd say the next aspect would most likely be... Um, genetics as well because some smaller breeds just because of what we're talking about before where they have supernumerary teeth they have too many teeth for their mouth yeah well they've all got the 42 give also teeth yep whether they're you know a great dane or they're a toy poodle and that's the thing and so sometimes the toy poodles and toy breeds instead of having the 42 teeth they have the extra baby teeth that might be retained and if they haven't been dentically dental they haven't been treated in a dental fashion so we haven't extracted the teeth that are there um then they start to build up a lot of the gunk and a lot of dirt yeah. and the thing. but then also some some breeders have weak weak holdings and their teeth there as well um it happens in cats we have something called uh foral lesions which are oral resorptive lesions as well we still don't know why they're Ooh, called that sounds um, awful but they are painful they're very Ooh. painful and a lot yeah. of people don't really people don't even realize these are these are the kind of things that i tell people to look out for especially with mm. dental pain in dogs is like salivating lip mm. licking Mm. If you look at them eating, they might just be um, preferential to one side of their mouth mm. and holding their, their mouth down on one side and chewing. And it's mm. that kind of like, almost like chewing and trying to catch the food at the same time when they're chewing. Instead of just sitting there and chewing comfortably, they might be chewing and trying to catch it because they're, they're trying to avoid. Another big thing as well, which is good for groomers to look at, is sometimes you can see 
an imbalance of the tartar. If there's more tartar on one side than there is on the other side. Oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, they're obviously eating at one side. Exactly, and then the tartar's building up on that one side, most likely because of pain or something like that on the other side. Mm -hmm. A big indicator is smell. Um, Obviously, nose. That one's hard to say, obviously, because you can't always smell things, but usually you can tend to smell when a mouth... Oh, my gosh, when there's a bad mouth. You know. Especially when they're up close and personal. They just need to give one little pan and you're like, whoa. Yeah, you're like, oh. That stinks. Exactly. And obviously dogs have dog breath, fair enough. But, you know, Mm. um, I even... No, but there's there's bad teeth is something else, isn't it? Exactly. Sometimes I tell them that if you're worried about your dog's breath, sometimes it might be worth... Fair enough, there's one point of going to the consultation. There's only so much we can do in a consultation to look at a dog's mouth because mm. sometimes they don't want to cooperate, especially if they have a bad tooth. Um, but, yeah, sometimes you just might have to bite the bullet and pay for a sedation uh, or a general anaesthetic so that they can have a proper oral, oral um, a comprehensive oral health exam. Yeah. Uh, and have a look, like, because there might be one tooth. It might just be one tooth at the back. Yeah. Rotten. And if that tooth's out, then we're good, you know? But then once you leave one tooth in there and then they start chewing on the other side, yeah. it starts causing problems everywhere and then you have more teeth to do. In an ideal world, I personally, like, I'm working through my dentalist. I have a, I have a backlog of about 70 dental patients because of the pandemic. Oh. And obviously I still have my normal operations, but I'm working through it. But in an ideal world for me, from puppies, I would be doing, like, knocking the dogs out, having a general anaesthetic and doing like a, a scale and polish or whatever it is, maybe once to twice yearly. Like, you know, just to be able to assess the teeth, you know, a comprehensive oral exam every seven to eight months, trying to have a look at the mouth and seeing, you know, what we need to do, especially from puppies. If you're brushing the teeth from young, that's great. And then dogs, when they're over two to three years old, that's when the tartar really starts to build up and the tartar sits on there. Yeah. Um, that's when you start to first notice it. And so um, yeah. we would recommend, you know, going in that frequently but some people will only get like one dental in the whole of the dog's life mm. and it is expensive but i do recommend doing it because it, at the end of the day it's proven to have a better effect on the quality of life and a longer um, life exactly i've heard as well that sore ears or eyes things like that can be linked to the dog's mouth do you is this something that you see or you know do you see a correlation that you know we might be seeing like an ever-present ear infection and then but the dog's got horrendous um, gum inflammation tartar buildup do you think that all those sort of sinuses and passages on a dog's face are linked exactly yeah they're all definitely linked that's why we have that's why in, well, in humans we don't have inventory medicine but in humans we have ear nose and throat doctors you know, oh yeah of course throat. you do didn't think about yeah. that yeah you have an ant and the ear nose and throat are all linked all passages linked because mm. like you said so you've got your you've got imagine imagine a set of dentures so you've got the gum line that's your yeah. teeth You've got to where the teeth are above the teeth inside the skull, literally directly above the skull. So if we're talking between the roof of the mouth and the eyes, that space in between, yeah, on those sides, the top of your maxilla, you've got spaces inside there. There's hollow spaces in there. Those are your sinuses. Those are the maxillary sinuses, okay? Right. Then you're going towards the nose. You've got the nasal cavity. Just yeah. behind the nose, there's another sinus as well, the frontal sinus. And then the top of the forehead as well, there's also another sinus as well. Right. Um, now, those all spread in between the mouths. And if there's an infection, usually if there's an infection at the top of the gums, so I'm talking about the top row of teeth, if there's an mm. infection of any of the roots that are in there, you're going to get spread into the sinuses. Sometimes you'll get abscesses that will appear on the face. Sometimes oh, okay. And then you might see sore eyes, things like exactly. that. Yeah. yeah. If the, if the, you can imagine if we're talking about the top of the top line of the mouth, mm-hmm. yeah, the roof of the mouth, and we're talking about an infection that's going right in between the bone 
that's in between the roof of the mouth and the bottom of the eye. Oh, it's going to go straight yeah. into the, you know, the tear ducts, the eyes. Mm. Sometimes have recurrent yeah. and weepy eyes or mm. a sore nose, persistent sneezing. Sometimes we say unilateral discharge from a mouth. So that's like discharge coming from one side of the nose or the mouth. Mm. So like from one nostril, there's always like persistent, like, you know, thick kind of purulent mucus, like, you know, the yellowy kind of like yeah. mucus. Sometimes that might be there's because there's an infection inside the mouth. You know, and so often we get that. And usually, as much as owners may not be able to tell, sometimes we can tell in consultation because you might see an asymmetry. So, you know, there's going to be an imbalance between one side of the face. One side is going to be looking a bit swollen, more swollen than the other. Um, mm. You know, so you'll be able to be able to detect those sorts of things. But yeah, it's all linked. Sometimes Fascinating, have, yeah. Eye infections, nose infections, it's, every, it's, all, it's all linked together. So, Yeah, because I always think that... Um, I've seen it with quite a lot of client dogs. They'll have this reoccurring ear infection, but they have this reoccurring dental problem that's not being sorted out. Yeah. And so I've said to them, I think it's linked. I think you, you know, you need to have got these dogs' teeth sorted out because mm. I think this might be contributing to the fact that your dog keeps on having these reoccurring ear infections. Mm, exactly. You know, these gunky, oozy ears. Exactly. And that's, and this is the and sometimes as well, I always say that no um no animal's free from having two conditions at the same time. So mm. it may be the ears are just having an ear infection by mm. themselves. But it could but be. For so long, the teeth are also infected as well. Um, and it's not, it's not like yeah. just one or the other. It's very easy to have ears, eyes and yeah. teeth are all the problem. And we have to sort all of them in, individually. But that's when it becomes difficult on our part of the job. Because yeah. when we have to prioritise which one we're going to treat first. Usually mm. I'd always go for like teeth first and things like that. But depending on age, depending on underlying conditions, yeah, or well, the severity of one from the other, exactly. yeah, management as well is a big thing because I have to think about how the owners can think about managing it post operatively as well, like you know, mm. kind of care they can do because ears is a really tricky thing because it's a lot of long term work. You have to be really good at cleaning ears. A lot of people don't even know how to clean ears. Yeah, I've had clients who've not even been able to handle their dog's ears, and they've they've obviously been into the vets for treatment. They may have had them flushed but they can't even give them the post-operative treatment. So they've had to come to me every morning so I can Applying treat it. the dogs because weirdly, the dog just stands there for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. Is, it all becomes a big balance. So those are little things you have to kind of take into consideration. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just dealing with one thing at a time. And a lot of people don't have the, the money to do all three things at once as well sometimes. It is daunting, isn't it, when you think, oh, my dog needs to go in for dental? Because mm. I know with the cost of these things, I mean, obviously, I understand because there's anaesthetic involved and it's the skill of the people involved that are treating your animal and all the rest of it. But it is very eye-wateringly expensive, isn't it? So this is, so this is a big thing in the uh, vet community because even recently we've had discussions coming up about, like, you know, uh, NHS for vets and, and things like that, which is, which is painful for us to hear as a profession from our perspective because a lot of the time it comes from a point of the NHS is already broken for the human doctors. Mm. and we're already in a profession where we're already breaking very severely because of how, how much costs are trying to be subsidised and kept down. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're eye-watering rounds, but there's so many hidden costs, the NHS, because of how heavily subsidised it is. Like, yeah, you know, exactly, I, I yeah. Have, I have so many friends that are doing dentistry and, and medicine in the UK and practising, and both here and abroad as well. Um, and I talk to them, like, you know, the kind of dental care they can get because I have dental friends that are telling me, you know, you can literally do anything in the NHS for about like fifty pounds for your for your mouth or something like that. Like you know, you can get people get their whole mouths fixed. Oh really? Fillings and things like that for about fifty pounds under oh, there. Oh wow, and okay. It takes a lot of work for the uh, doctors 
yeah. or dentists to do any of that treatment anyway. Um, and they're heavily burdened because they have like such a high turnover of patients and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, whereas we don't have, one, we don't have the support of, of, of a big government body like the NHS. Um, but two, it's just like, so we've got the timing of everything. Also, mm. we're not doing it in a, in a sense of where we get the dog in, we tell the dog, open your mouth and sit there <laughs> and can you feel this? Can you feel that? Uh, do, 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 this is this. I'm going to drill here. Only. We have to knock the dog out completely. We have to be monitoring the anesthetic. And anytime we're doing anesthetic, there's always a risk. There's always a risk of like, you know, whether the patient can collapse on the anesthetic, whether their mm. blood pressure can handle it, all those sorts of things. Then we do a full comprehensive mouth exam. Um, and then just kind of, you have the scale and polish side to it first. So you have to scale mm-hmm. and polish all the teeth that mm-hmm. might be missing. Then you have to examine each and, then, each and every tooth individually, assessing each root individually. In my position, I take dental x-rays. Not all practices do dental x-rays. Obviously, it costs extra. But I think it's more uh, responsible to do dental x-rays because there's only so much you can see from poking and prodding inside the mouth. But you need to be able to see what the gum is doing to those sinuses that we're talking about and to the bone above. I can imagine uh, it sounds very labour intensive. Exactly, and so and then even and even then, if you take all of those bits out of the side, and even like the side of like you know the knowledge that goes into reading all those and making mm. sure you're doing the right thing there, there's also just the physical aspect of removing teeth. Now, if you're skilled at doing at, at taking teeth, like I would like to say, I'm very confident in my dental abilities um, as a vet. I'm very comfortable taking out teeth, and I do teeth quite well, and I extract teeth really well. But some people have difficulty taking out, and it is. It is labor intensive when you have like a, because there's a lot of things where you have to kind of, you have to section the teeth. You have to drill them in half. Oh my gosh, no way. What? We're using like, we're using what we call periosteal elevates, which is almost like a, it's like the, you know, the blunt end of the knife, the back end of the knife. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the back end of that. And you're yeah. sweeping in between the tooth and the root and you have to kind right. of elevate it. <gasps> press up to kind of Yeah, yeah, yeah. And take away all the ligaments that are holding. Who am I kidding, Bother? I could never have been a vet. Oh gosh, <laughs> my toes are curling. <laughs> this is the thing about dentistry as well is that all this is very like it's a very delicate procedure. In something like a greyhound, a Great Dane Rottweiler, where they have very big, uh, dense bone, thick teeth, you're putting a lot of pressure. I've had times when I've had to do it like for two hours, and you know my hands would be cramping up because of you know how much pressure you're trying to take out the teeth. Um, and you can imagine like two, three hours under anesthetic doing just, you know, taking out just teeth. It's a very long time. Yeah, that and is a long time. Not just that side. There's the other aspect of it where you're doing something tiny like a Pomeranian or a little cat. You have to use just the same amount of pressure, but you have to be very careful with the pressure because you don't want to go around breaking <gasps> the jaw. Yeah. So it's all a very delicate procedure. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about there's a level of skill. There's also a level of the labor intensive. There's also the research that goes behind it and making sure everything all together because, you know, we've got the four. Yeah, no, I totally understand that. Yeah. That's where all the expense starts to come in. Um, and it is the, at the end of the day, it is the time of it all. Like some mm. practices will charge per tooth. Uh, okay, I know some practices charge per tooth. I charge per time when I do it. So uh, we have grades of dentistry. I tend to grade it before I give an estimate. So there's like a grade one, which is scale and polish. Grade two, which is like maybe a few extractions. A couple of extractions, yeah. yeah grade yeah. three is like maybe three or four extractions. Grade five, four and five, those are the really like heavy where I, I have four mouth extractions. There's times when I have to do four mouth extractions. <gasps> wow. Um, especially in cats. I get it a lot oh, with yeah. the older greyhounds. And a four mouth extraction, you're talking about me taking out somewhere between 30 to 40 teeth. Wow. Um, and... That isn't something like it, it, in a human. If you're taking full mouth extractions, yeah, like you know, you'd be paying out of, <laughs> out of, out of your back. Yeah. Like, you'd be paying a lot for that, um, and it's you know, it's all those things of 
when you're taking out teeth, it's not just taking out teeth, it's suturing the gum back. It's surgery. It's a very fine surgery, you know. You're, and then I suppose it's the aftercare. You've got to send them home with antibiotics, uh, anti-inflammatories, things like that, potentially. I mean, I don't know what you send them home with. I'm just guessing. No, exactly, exactly. So there's a lot of the times with anti-inflammatories. Mm-hmm. I tend to be careful of antibiotics sometimes because of antibiotic resistance, one. But two, a lot of the time, a lot of the antibiotics we give. Good to hear. Even Exactly. And antibiotics, a lot of the antibiotics we give aren't even strong enough to break into the um, barrier that's in the mouth anyway. So sometimes they're just not, they're not even, there's a lot more studies showing that they're mm. not really as effective anyway. Um, and dogs do just as better without the antibiotics sometimes. Because sometimes you get owners that are demanding antibiotics and I just give them the proof that look, you know, in some cases the antibiotics won't even work to get through the mouth because of how thick right. the layer is. The best treatment is just to take out the teeth and once they're out, the infection's gone. Once it's flushed and cleaned, you're good. Um, but you have like, I give a lot of hexa rinses, which is like a disinfectant rinse. So people can add it to their water bowl or rinse the dog's mouth. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. Um, I give a lot one of, of my one of my poodles does have some gum recession. I have yeah. no idea why. She's quite young, and it's um, it's all in her incisors, like up in this top section here. Mm-hmm. And so now I found with her, I get obviously she gets food trapped up there, grass, mm-hmm. random things like that. I'm constantly having to clean just this section here at the yeah. front of her mouth. And I'm, I don't, I don't know why. Yeah, gum recession can be caused by so many different things, and sometimes it can be as simple as, especially if they're like, if they've gone to a year, for instance. If they've gone to a year, um, she probably started when she was about two. And yeah. It, yeah. No rhyme or reason. I've not had it with any of my other dogs. Yeah, it's, uh, that's the thing. So sometimes, if they haven't had the full scale and polish, the reason why we do scale and polish is to get rid of all the tartar, the black that's sitting there, and also mm. the bacterial film. And it's not just in the part of the tooth you can see. It's also at the bit underneath the gum line. Yeah, of course. Because so, there's quite a big pocket up there, isn't there? Exactly. And the pocket's about three millimetres to six millimetres. Yeah. And if it's, long, if it's bigger than that, then we know there's a recession. But when there's bacteria sitting there, if we don't scale and polish it, the bacteria sit there for maybe two months, three months, six yeah. months, one year, yeah. two years, three. The more the bacteria sit there, the more they eat away at the gum, causing gingivitis. And there's that tiny, even though the tooth might look clean below, there's a tiny bit of ginger recession that's coming on. And it might yeah. be... We're talking millimetres. But that is like, it snowballs though. It snowballs into much bigger issues. Exactly. And then what ends up happening is eventually the tooth might start becoming a little bit loose. And mm. then and then we have to like, talk about extractions and things like that. Because that's when it's oh, like... Oh, it's terrible. awful. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's hard, and usually in those cases, if we're noticing gingival recession, the problem is, is that right now we're just so plagued as a profession. Like we're so busy. So for you to just book in your dog for a scale and polish, it's going to be a lot harder now mm. because of like, you know, we're prioritizing. Well, my vet said it's nothing to worry about at the moment, but she did give me some, like it's in a pink box, um, called Modine or something like a yeah. type of toothpaste, which is especially for gum recession. Yeah. It absolutely stinks. It's awful stuff. So I'm just trying to brush your teeth with that a bit. Yeah. That's what I mean. So stuff like that, it helps like that. And like in an ideal world, the best case scenario would be like, even in dogs that aren't symptomatic, because the thing is that we're, we're going to prioritise things. So it would be nothing to worry about now. But in an ideal world, what I'd love to do is just, you know, do a quick scale and polish, book her in. I'd love that. Scale and polish, yeah. scale and polish all the teeth mm-hmm. and make sure we're getting underneath the gums, in the gum pocket and then send her on away. But right now it's better to probably just be like, okay, you know what? Use this at home and try this and, and keep it up with it. Stay with the, the toothbrushing. Yeah. Um, and then in the future, if it does get worse, then maybe we'll look at... You yeah, know, when things calm down with COVID and everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. but that's the, that's, the, that's the hardest part is that kind of, like I said, ideal. Every eight months, just scale and polish. And the thing is, is that 
it's less expensive. If we do like a, if I was to do a scaling polish every eight months or once a year, and I'm routinely mm-hmm. taking out one tooth or whatever tooth might be, then it's better because that might be like four fifty pounds a time than doing a thousand pounds in one go because I'm taking out seven or eight teeth or you know mm. eight hundred pounds in one go because I'm taking out that many teeth. Um, and so it's working out that kind of balance, but. Like so the biggest thing that I have with my clients that come up against this, though, is anesthetic. The issues of and the risk factor with anesthesia on smaller dogs in particular. Okay. Now, I haven't heard of, I mean, I might be wrong. I haven't come across any, I would say, just jogging my memory. I don't think I've come across any anesthetic related deaths with mm-hmm. dogs. I can't mm-hmm. think of any. Mm-hmm. I think that you guys are aware if they've got a heart murmur or anything before you put them under. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think things have got better? Because maybe things, you know, maybe it did come along with quite a lot of risk, um, you know, 20 years ago or something. Mm. So what would I you say I... to people who are worried about that? Do you come across a lot of people really worried about putting the dogs yeah, under? Of course, of course, of course. Of, of, most definitely. People are always yeah. worried, about yeah. worried about their pets, uh, especially the whole going under the anaesthetic. Mm. Um, and I think it just comes from a lot of, there's there's a lot of fear from before, I think. Early days maybe weren't as refined in the anaesthetic. Um, now, anaesthetic is anaesthetic's almost an art, really. Mm. You know, anesthesiologists spend time learning all these things. I mean, we as vets, general, in general practice, we're all doing everything all at once. If you go into specialists, you know, usually there's anesthesiologist, someone who's specifically just doing the anesthetic. Um, mm. But, you know, as general vets, we're doing all the time, but we take into, into, into account all the factors. Like you said, I think, oh, now this is my, statistics are, uh, are not my, my strong point, but I want to say it's like... Oh, say, one, say. One in like, <laughs> yeah, it's like one in 10,000, I think, is like the occurrence of deaths on the anesthetic for routine procedures. Maybe one in 10,000, something like that. I personally mm. not had any touch wood. Um, and God so forbid, it's obviously very, it's obviously it's, very low risk nowadays. It's very, it's very, it's, the thing is, it's that it's low risk provided that we do all the things beforehand because... What makes an anesthetic risky? So mm-hmm. we have anesthetic grading. These are like a classification from one to four on mm-hmm. how um, a patient will be able to handle an anesthetic. And according to those uh, categories that we put them in, that's how we tailor an anesthetic. Okay. So a, a, a category one is like a very safe um, anesthetic because it's like, you know, that's a very healthy juvenile patient. That's what we, you know, that's a category one. Whereas a category yeah. two might be, they might be a little bit sick and it might be affecting their system. And so we have to be a bit more careful with the anesthetic. Um, there's all these things that we offer as a community before we do the anesthetic to help reduce those risks. So one, we talk about weight. Weight is a big factor. Is it? Yeah. has an effect on the anesthetic because mm. obesity, they're just fat. Yeah, when a pet is fat, the heart's still the same size. Exactly, and we're given drugs, but sometimes what we we'll end up doing is you might end up giving the drug, estimating for a weight that's a lot heavier than they actually are. I so see. Way you kind of almost mm. overdosed because of that, that because their their body, the actual body mass that they have, the actual muscle mass that they have, and the fusion that they have is only for like you might have a seven kilo cat or a seven kilo dog that should actually be a four kilo dog. But because it's so fat, it's, you know, it's because of that. And also when they're mm. on anesthetic, all the weight of their, of their fat is on, on their the lungs. pressure on their lungs. Yeah, that makes that, sense. That yeah. Makes breathing whilst they're under. So, I think it's probably the same with humans, though, as right. Yeah, exactly. oh, yeah. definitely it is, yeah. Um, and so you've got weight is one aspect of it. I always tend to tell people uh, it's always worth doing the pre-anesthetic bloods. A lot of veterinary practices offer it optionally because of cost and things like that to owners. But 
in, in my mind, gold standard wise, it's always worth doing the pre-anesthetic blood beforehand because pre-anesthetic blood just allow us to know what is going on in the dog. Yes, it's expensive. Right. These are things that we have to take into account. If we're worried and we're worried. So we're you might do this on an older dog, for instance. Oh, that's what I'm saying. So I would do it on an old dog and a younger dog. Oh, would you? Right. In the gold standard world, I would love to do it. Because some younger dogs, they might have some things that are going on that nobody has any clue, but it would only show right. up in the blood. And these yeah. are things that would cause incidences of death under anesthesia. Oh, okay. To disregard it. And it's fair because obviously it's expensive. But this is the thing is that pets are expensive, but we need to kind of put these costs... Like, we need to... In order for us to do our due diligence... Well, they are the kings and queens of our world. So this is it. You know, we have to <laughs> we put a price in it sometimes. And so sometimes it's just worth... Especially if you're a particularly type to worry, it's best to kind of get the bloods first as well. So we can at least see... Because when I take bloods, I can look at the kidneys... Um, the liver, the white blood cells, whether their thyroid is heavy. And then I can know to tailor the anaesthetic towards it or if they're too risky for us to go ahead with the anaesthetic. Because sometimes yeah. it happens where, oh, their liver values are high off the scales. And I'm like, oh, well, we can't put this dog on the anaesthetic because, you know, the liver is what breaks down all the chemicals and all the drugs that we put in the blood. And if their liver values off the scale, we need to... Right, of course. So it's where, then you've got the ability, the tools there to weigh up whether it's actually worth doing it exactly, or not, exactly. depending on the severity. Exactly. And whether there's something else we need to investigate. Mm. Sometimes, like, like I said, like, as horrible as it may sound, but cancer is like one of those things that it hides. It may not be as common in younger patients. It's very unlikely that you're going to see it in younger patients, but mm. it's very possible that, you know, there could be something hiding inside the bloodstream somewhere else or, you know, in one yeah. of the organs. We need to kind of investigate that first before we kind of do dental care. So that's another side is taking blood beforehand. We do physical exams and checks beforehand. It's crazy to me how many, the number of patients I get where, People just call in and ask, oh, can I just book my dog in for so-and-so operation or so-and-so dentistry? And I've never seen them before or they've never come to the vet practice before. Right. I'm like, I need to see your animal first before I do a massive... Yeah, I need its history. <laughs> just the same as what we would as well, though, yeah, really. Just in the random country be like, okay, I'm here for my uh, kidney removal. You're I like, think the what? thing is, the problem is you probably can. <laughs> this, is <where laughs> you, this is where you hear those awful stories in the news about people. Yeah. yeah. And then somebody's bodies have been taken to the black market or whatever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it's those kind of things that, you know, we do preoperative checks and we have to do those checks so we know whether there's heart murmurs or mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. think that the dog might be behaving differently. Or even one, for me, it's also just to assess the simple thing like, what teeth do I need to extract? And I can give you them <laughs> because I can't just do it. On the, on the day, you can imagine, I described my day already, what my day is like. For me yeah. to now realise that after I've had a busy morning of consoles and then to come... You've actually like, got a four-hour dentistry job to do rather than just a, you know, yeah. It's just like, oh, all of a sudden, this dental wasn't like a quick scale of polish. It was like, I'm removing like, you know, 30, 35 teeth. Yes. Five hours. <laughs> Maybe it's a bit like um, just, I mean, this is the most ridiculous comparison, what's, uh, you know, that that's, could be going. But when somebody rings up with two Newfoundlands, I'm like, maybe i want to see these guys first because yeah. <laughs> is this going to be an hour and a half per dog or is this going to be four hours per dog <laughs> exactly and I, I need to see you for, i need to see you first i need to get a gauge so you can't i don't want to be working till midnight <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. i'm definitely not working till midnight no. <laughs> um, and so it's just those kind of things and it's just those things that make like make just make things that make sense but i think people just tend to like let it slip their mind um so it's looking out for them, doing that general check, doing the pre-anesthetic bloods, also having a discussion with the vet about what needs to be done. Some places, I know some places where they do dentistry and they split it, um, they might just do 45 minutes at a time to mm. make it and do over like four anesthetics. Oh, That's really? Oh, gosh. Over right. one. Yeah. If you're doing over four anesthetics, that means, you know, coming in 
sometimes it might be a month apart or maybe two weeks apart or whatever. Right. Um, but sometimes with older pets, just to kind of do it all in one sitting, just make sure we're monitoring their blood pressure. We yeah, have, yeah. We have during during the operation, like I said, we have nurses and and maybe in some cases another vet that might be monitoring. Yeah, them. monitoring, keep an eye on the dog and, and eye on blood pressure, eye on all their vitals, so we know what to do. Yeah. Happening. Like, say the blood pressure is low, we you know we supplement them with fluids. You know, we're always there. Like, it, you know, we were changing the medication that we're using. I tailor make all my medications, all my anesthetics to my patients. Yeah. So, you know, the older drugs, the older dogs have a certain older safe yeah. um, drugs, whereas the younger patients have the younger safe drugs. You know, there's right, like yeah. the middle-aged patients that will have certain drugs. So not, not every anesthetic is just the same. So and not, I suppose as technology moves on as well, things are becoming, like you say, more tailor-made, a lot safer. Okay, this one sounds like a really obvious one, Billy, but often a client of mine hasn't even realized the severity of their dog's teeth problems. Mm-hmm. So what does a healthy mouth look like comp- in comparison to an unhealthy mouth? Mm. What would you what would you say the key things are for mm. people at home to check? Okay, so looking at a, a healthy mouth, yeah, so it's it's weird how you phrase it as well because that's what we get told in vet school is like, you know, how do you know when something's bad? It's only when you've looked at enough mm. things that are right, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Good, you know that this is a lot of things that are good and then you know that, oh, that's not right. <laughs> so, so, so I would say maybe your sense is like nose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So one, let's if we do it that way, the nose always knows. I always say that the nose always smell. Knows. Yeah, great. So whether you can smell something a little bit sweet coming from the mouth, mm-hmm. whether you can smell um, a bit rotten. It can't. Always, it's not always their teeth, though, right? If you can smell something funky coming from the mouth, it can be something else, can't it? It could be an abscess at the back of the mouth. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get tonsils that are you know infected, or they could be like you know. I had a dog with a grass seed in its cheek. Um, oh yeah and it was pus pouring out from the inside of his mouth oh gosh sometimes we get tumors inside the mouth and oral mm. tumors and oral tumors can be, behave quite aggressively so yeah smell i think is the is the most important thing uh like i said it's more important for me to talk about what a good mouth looks like so if you're not seeing any swellings it's symmetrical so a healthy mouth would look nice and symmetrical so both sides both the left and right side upper and lower uh symmetrical they should be nice and symmetrical if you're starting to see things misaligned or uneven then maybe it's worth getting them checked mm-hmm. um definitely look at the gums you want the gums to be nice and pink but in some cases they might be different colors because of the pigment but yeah you, and sometimes uh, around the teeth you can see the start going really red where you exactly. can see that where the tartar has sat on the gum it's starting to cause inflammation exactly so you can see that kind of Sometimes you can see a bit of a film on the teeth. Sometimes you can see a plaque on the tooth where it's kind of a plaque on the tooth. I'd say is a bit more, um, uh, uh, it's become a bit more hardened, whereas mm. a tartar is a bit softer. I have to double check my definition on that, but a tartar is a little bit softer. Um, mm. And then you've got calculus, which is like... Oh, it's that stuff you can literally flick off. Exactly, where yeah. it's a rock which sits on the tooth. Yeah. And that's the bits where it's like, you know, a lot thicker and a lot harder. And those things maybe mm. need the full screen of polish that you're taking a big bulk of, of like, you know, muck off the tooth. So those yeah. are things you want to be seeing. You don't want to see them on there, but those you want to look out for, that's a bad mouth. Uh, so looking at the gums, making sure they're nice and red, looking at the root of the tooth. Um, sometimes you can also see things like discoloration in teeth. So obviously we all want a Hollywood white smell. Yeah, it's a bit of a farce in here. It's, it's a human thing that we want the teeth to be completely Yeah, fine. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yellow teeth are okay. Sometimes this is to caused by uh, something we call dentin. And sometimes if a tooth has a little bit of uh, wear and tear, dog birth, they do chew bones, uh, pebbles, stones. They get what we call tertiary dentin, which is like the brown marks on their teeth. 
almost if you see like brown scratch marks or dots on their teeth. Yeah. Um, often I tell people to look out for chipped teeth. You told us that saliva has this really good cleaning effect. It's, and it's not even just cleaning, and it's like it's the cleaning, yeah, the antibacterial, and also has a really good healing effect. So when I have a lot of wounds in the mouth, wounds in the mouth heal very well because of saliva. Yeah, but we know that from like yeah. ulcers and things exactly. like that, don't we? That, you yeah. know, if you bite the side of your cheek, it's gone within a day or two, isn't it? Exactly. And it's looking at things like that as well, looking out for things like ulcers. Um, sometimes we get abscesses. I also tell people looking at t- teeth are a very good indication. So you can get discoloration. Um so we've we've got the yellow or the brown, like we were talking about with the dentin and the mm-hmm. and the and the repairing of the teeth. But also sometimes you might get like the canines tend to be discolored sometimes. And if you're seeing like a red or a pink discoloration in the canines, right? Pulpitis. That's inflammation of the pulp, which is the soft tissue that's inside the nerve. Basically, is inside. Oh, okay. Um, the mm-hmm. tooth. What you're seeing in that pink hue is possibly bleeding or a large amount of inflammation. And often those teeth need to be either treated with root canal or an extraction. Nobody can afford All root right. canal, so it tends to be an extraction. Um, but yeah, there's that side of it. Um, what else is there? This wow. Kind of Sometimes you get slab fractures which are like, mm-hmm. that fractures is something that you really not, won't notice. But if your dog eats bones regu- uh, regularly, it's almost like um, like a very clean fracture across the tooth, but the tooth is still held together. So it's just, all you would see is a very thin line across the tooth. Almost like line, a hair. okay. But the tooth is actually peeling off. Yeah. Or often what you'll see is a red dot right at the tip of a crack or something like that. That red dot is usually the pulp of the nerve that's a little bit exposed. Um, and that usually indicates that we might need to remove it and things like that. So those are all things to look out wow. for. Wow. Yeah. Fascinating. Now, my last question to you is <laughs> how do you stay so positive and upbeat, especially oh. in a vocation that we actually know is actually really hard going at times? Um, well, that's a, that's, a, that's a nice question. I mean, that's like, it's, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a happy person. And I think sometimes I think my... Uh, my predisposition has been set to happy. My dial is kind of set. Day. I'm I'm human in terms of I have my bad days. I have my moments where I feel. Of course, like, yeah. A lot of stuff I I practice on is like you know stoicism and 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 also being aware of my emotions. So if I'm if I'm feeling down, I'm allowed to feel down. It's human and it's processing that emotion. Mm-hmm. All the emotions have their place, um, and so it's learning. How do we feel happy if we don't recognize when we're not feeling quite so happy? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And it's also, it's being intentional about your happiness for me. That's, that's where my happiness comes from. I, I get happy when I see healthy patients. Literally, I'll go for a walk in a park and if I see a, a dog wagging its tail, I'm so happy. Like, that, that gives me some weird kind of joy. I think that's where I know I'm in the right job because I get some weird joy looking at dogs living their best lives or looking at cats living their best lives. Maybe because mm. I see them sick a lot of the time. So often I'll go for walks. Or yeah, that's actually, I do. Yeah, I don't even think about that. Of course, you see them at their worst sometimes yeah exactly so when i'm walking around and i see them happy or they're playing or they're in such good shape or i'm talking mm-hmm. to somebody and their dog's wagging their tail or i'm on the train and i see a dog wagging their tail that makes me happy and i just sit down to soak in those kind of moments absorb those kind of small things being really intentional about my happiness i've discussed it about it in a, in a different podcast as well just be, it's because something that i'm very passionate about and i want to take it further but it's kind of it's ideal in the world that we live in, the day and age that we live in, where everything's computerized and we're all sucked into our phones and, you know, adver- adverts and TV and phones and media all fighting for our attention. We just need to be intentional about happiness. What makes us happy? Um, I take pictures of my patients and stick them on the wall in my practice. Um, and it's that kind of thing of, you know, to keep the team morale high. We look out for each other. We all kind of check in on each other, making sure that 
because at the end of the day, you see a lot of time if you're working in my profession, you work with your team more than you see your family. And so the team has to become your family. And part of a family, my idea is we have to actually look out for each other and do what's best for each other. Like, you know, Mm. you're looking at somebody and and seeing how somebody's feeling, you know, make space for that. And also making, understanding what makes each other tick and how we need space and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, be able to work together a lot. I always tell the girls, to, they, they kind of think of things that I'm thinking of before I even think of it. Um, but it's all yeah. together and looking out for each other. If they feel down, I'll sit down and talk with them and we'll have a real discussion about what it feels yeah. like. We can't bring all the baggage from home into work, but it's looking out for each other, um, you know, watching over each other and being intentional about our happiness inside the day and also confessing positively because that's something I got from my dad. There's no point bringing the negative stuff into it. You might be, it's very easy to just say something negative, but I tend to tell people, give people the benefit of the doubt, handle things with grace, be patient, because a lot of time in our jobs and, and our professions, we need to be patient with each other. Mm. Just have a bit of empathy, like, you know, just realise that you might be seeing somebody at a different time in their life that you're not, you're not used to. So, 100%. You need yeah. to have, you know, scoop, scoop loads of empathy yeah. in your job, you don't you? Just take a step back and maybe put yourself in a position, because sometimes people are like, how did you let it get this bad? But it's sometimes it's like, you know, they could have been doing this, X, Y, Z. They've got yeah, good. you don't know what's going on in people's lives, you do you? Going on. So I always say two people with grace, humility, take a bit of patience, be intentional about your happiness, you know, work together as a family. Mm. And then that's how, like, those are the things that make me stay happy. And of course, I have my low moments. I have times when I'm really, you know... Quiet bully. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's usually me, it's the quiet bully. And everybody, everybody's always like, bully, okay, when I go quiet. I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm working on it. I'm good. I'm just... I'm, <laughs> I, I reach I do. I know, uh, I know Pooch, on Pooch Perfect that you were, you know, you were really caring and attentive to everybody. You know, you were like bobbing around, making sure everyone was okay, making sure everyone was happy and like a little ray of sunshine. Oh, but then, thanks, <laughs> thanks, Verity. But honestly, I, I, I take joy out of seeing other people happy as well. I really do. I really, I, it's nice to kind of just, you know, it's your friend. I think we just don't have, we don't look out for each other enough. Um, mm, and even, no. yeah, um, it's actually true that. We don't, it's, and it's, it can be so sad sometimes. So sometimes if I'm in a, if I'm in a Tesco or something, you know, just compliment somebody. Like, you know, just, it's just having a nice conversation with people and just being intent about it. And sometimes before you know it, it starts to rub off back on you and it mm. just comes back around. The goodness comes back around. So I think that's what keeps me happy. Yeah. On a basis, <laughs> just being intentional. You're wise beyond your years. I'm <laughs> <laughs> becoming this old, old yogis. I'm going to be beard. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now that we're at the end of episode 12, our vet special, I'm going to finish things off by asking Bolly my quick fire questions. So Ooh. I want really quick answers. Oh. Don't hesitate and no bull. Okay. okay. So are you ready? Oh, no. <laughs> What's your dog food of choice? Royal Canyon Hills um, and Purina just because they do scientific research <laughs> Fave place to walk Fave place to walk uh, by the canal and the, the Thames near my house Number of dogs under your roof None anymore oh. I'm just my baby <laughs> Sorry I should have scrapped that one It's awkward It's very awkward If you're a dog what breed would you be? Oh <laughs> A Bichon <laughs> Of course you would. You would definitely be a I think it'd be a Labrador, a Golden Retriever, something like that. But everybody, the best family pets are Golden Retrievers, right? The lovely dogs. Yeah, exactly. Fave holiday destination? 
Oh, Greece. And your worst nightmare dog breed to own. Worst nightmare dog breed to own. I think it might be something big just because I wouldn't want to scoop the poo up. <laughs> <That's laughs> yeah. I couldn't do it, like something really big. Great like Dane, two bag. hands in an Asda carrier bag. Yeah, an Irish wolf but a hound where I have to get a duffel bag to like scoop yeah, the yeah, poo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Thanks so much, Barlow. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Mary now that's a wrap thank you so much for joining myself and Bolo we would be delighted if you gave both a follow on Instagram Bolo is at Dr Bolo Esso and his TikTok is at Doc B-O-J thank you for everybody for listening I hope you enjoyed this vet special don't forget to rate five stars would make my day and subscribe to Pod on the Dog a really big thank you to Natural Instinct for sponsoring Pod on the Dog If you fancy changing your dog to a natural and fuss-free way of feeding a raw diet, then head over to their website and you will receive 15% off by using the code VERITY15. Now, obviously, we were talking a bit about bones and raw food on this episode. I do feed my dogs bones, but I obviously monitor them all the time and they're really used to it. And, uh, and obviously I feed them natural instinct, which they absolutely love. And one thing that's so amazing about it is it's completely nutritionally balanced. You don't need to worry about adding vitamins, vegetables, anything like that, because it's already comes pre-prepared and frozen for your convenience. Anyway, speak soon. Much love. <laughs>